Stop. It never rains at Austin Stadium. Hey, happy Wednesday, everyone, and welcome to the It Never Rains podcast, a podcast here on The Athletic about the Oregon Ducks. Tyson Hauser here joined by Aaron Fentress, and we got a great show coming up for you guys today with talk about the NFL Combine, upcoming spring practice, uh, a little bit of Joe Moorhead. But first, Aaron, I, I heard I heard a little rumor this morning. You heard a rumor? I heard, uh, yeah, I heard, I heard, I heard that, uh, you know, with, uh, with spring, uh, you know, flowers are blooming, uh. The birds are chirping, and um, one, one of those little birds what, suddenly and, appear. And 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 Every one of those bir- one of those birdies told me uh, told me that you're in love. Um, I am in love. I'm not gonna lie. My wife. Would, would, would you but. care to? Would you care to expand? Well, I mean, she's never happy, but but. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, at the combine, I spoke with uh, three. Departing offensive linemen, Throckmorton, Lemieux, and Hanson, and of course asked all three about their replacements and the replacement for Warmack and what you know fans could expect. And of course, what are they gonna say? Those guys blow, right? <laughs> I can say that. <laughs> uh so they, they they you know, they had praise for what they thought was coming up behind them. Uh and I wrote about what they said and projected sort of, you know, what they felt was coming, and then I went and and Try to find as much video as I can of when some of the the youngins had got some action behind the top six last year, which included Aiello and, of course, the man, the myth, Panay Sewell. And, you know, I just have to admit that I just came away just feeling like their offensive line is going to be just fine. Now, I couldn't figure out if I was really, really, like, in love or if because my own <laughs> offensive line on my semi-pro team right now is really pissing me off because some of them are just fat and can't move, and the ones who are athletic aren't been, haven't been showing up to practice. So I didn't know if it was some Sorry. of that in there where I was just like, like, oh, God, I wish I had something like that on my team. But, uh, but regardless, this is a big, athletic, uh, highly recruited Uber talented group of offensive linemen who are going to be pretty damn good right away. I uh, I find that interesting. I mean, not that like it's it's all that surprising considering like how much they harp on that. And I mean that these these it's not like these are like rags to riches like two star right. recruits coming in. But but for the last you know two years you know you've often heard the refrain that. Uh, um, you know, especially from like Alex Mirabal, Oregon's offensive line coach, is you know we really believe that we have seven, eight, seven or eight guys who could really play right now, and you know that a lot, oftentimes that's just like a lot of coach speak of of guys just being you know really really pumping uh, pumping up their uh, their second unit. But um, between guys like Stephen Jones and and you want to take a shot at uh, Salah's for full name here, <laughs> Malasala, Almave. Laula, Laula, La- God, I'm okay. so bad at this. You, you might have actually been close on the Laula? first name. The, the second part's Amave, and then let's go Amave. with uh, Laulu. Laulu. That, that transition yeah, really messes me up. It was funny because the, the three dudes <laughs> at the combine just call him Sala. <laughs> they just said, screw it. Yeah, yeah. It's just like with Andre yeah. Y. Forget you, you're with the Gawainia. Let's just call him Y. E- Andre Y. <laughs> you, you remember when like Tyler Johnstone got hurt, and then like for the next like week, it was all just like people like – asking him like it was like a good tv bit of like all right andre like tell us how to pronounce your last name i practiced it for for tv because i want to try to say it i said it on tv and then he watched it 
I think, wait, I think, yeah, he watched it. And, and then he was really good friends with Bree Amaranthus, who I used to work with. And I asked her to ask him how I did. And she, he gave me a C minus. I was so sad. I thought I had nailed it. Anyway. Um, okay. 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 So, 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 so between Salah. Like, so, <laughs> From right. here on out, between you and I, he's Salah. Let's just go there. So, so, so between like him, Stephen Jones, Alex Forsyth, um, uh, Jonah, another tough last name to pronounce. Uh, t- ah, man. The, J- Jonah uh, Tana Nuua. God damn it. I'm, I apologize. I, I, I'm let's sorry, just, everyone. Let's just not even try hey, right now. It's, it's let, early let, in their development. So it's early right, in our development right. as well. So, we need so, spring practice. So, so 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 watching kind of going over some of the film you watched in uh you know the uh, the conferences have kind of made that a little bit more difficult to get full film of that on yeah. on YouTube but um you know what's what 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 kind of stood out on that and, and did any of those those players kind of uh you know really uh, um you know stand out more to you than than the rest Well I, I like you said I cannot believe you can't find full games on YouTube anymore. Like, what are they hiding them for? What What are they gaining? Are they going to put them out on DVD or something? Is there going to be a DVD box set available? It's just so <clears throat> corny to me. And, and the NFL is doing some weird things too with their with their uh, game. Even if you have even you have the uh, NFL Game Pass. But anyway, I, I just tried to find as many plays as I could in, in mop up duty. You know, Montana, Nevada, et cetera, et cetera. And there's not very much. But basically, what you're just looking for is you're looking for obvious athleticism and strength you know these guys are going to be raw obviously uh Hanson said you know of course there's probably going to be a drop off going from four seniors um and so you would expect that some of these guys are going to be green in some areas there's going to be some fundamental mistakes there's going to be some mental mistakes some uh recognition mistakes things like that I mean that's gonna be a given so I'm not saying the offensive line is gonna be just as good in 2020 as it was in 2019 but there's so much talent there you're gonna be anchored by a complete beast that there's not I do agree there's not going to be much of a drop-off and that there's probably some more physical, better physical talent in this crew than what we're seeing leaving. All three guys, and we'll talk about the combine later, are not very highly rated coming out, which was a little surprising. I mean, I, I didn't – I always wondered about the inconsistency, and we saw how the coaches didn't necessarily in their all-league didn't think it was that great of a crew. Only I think only two of the four or whatever made all conference, whatever. But um, yeah, going into the combine, they're not that highly rated and the scout didn't have great things to say about it. We'll talk about that later. But to answer your question, Stephen Jones, we've seen him play a lot. He started in place of Panay uh, in 2018 and saw some time last year before injuries sort of sat him, sat him down. But that guy, dude, 6'7", 354, and he can move like that. That's just stupid. Like that's not that's not right. That's not yeah, what lab was he created in? I don't know, but you know, you look at some plays where he just folds guys. Like I put up a video of him just folding a defensive end for UCLA into a pretzel, of him just dominating another defensive end, just erasing him from the play. And of course, he had his share of mistakes. There's no doubt about that as a true freshman. But uh, clearly, it's just a physical specimen that should slide right in at right tackle. I mean, I, I think he's the guy there. Then Sala, Sala. Oh my God, this guy. Four-star recruit. Um, one of these examples. He's, come- he's he's down about like seventy-five pounds from when he came in. Right, came in right. Last season. What, what, wasn't he like three eighty or so? Something like that. But he he had no offers. I think SMU was his only offer coming out of high school. Went the JC route. And what I like about that is you're getting a guy who's at least played some ball, not the Pac-12 level, but he's been playing. And then last year, of course, he got some some minutes here and there. But another huge guy, six six. 
313, who's just very physical, very athletic. I posted a video of him. Now, it's a Montana linebacker. It's not, you know, but he picked him up on a, blitz, a run blitz. Sorry. And just completely <laughs> just annihilated the guy. Turned him around, threw him into the turf. Uh, a long run by Sean Dollars. Um, Jonah, you mentioned Jonah was the number 63 rated recruit in the country. They, they were really high on him on it, signing day. Exactly. Now, he was number 63 in the country. Panay was number 57. So, you know, you're talking about, I'm not saying he's going to be Panay, but you're talking about the same similar rating there. Um, he, he, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say similar, similar talent pool. Like, like, right, exactly. Those, those guys um, have high potential. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, I posted a play of him kind of, I couldn't tell if it was him or the running back, but there was a, a misrecognition on the blitz just to show that, you know, he's young. Now he's at right guard, but he also played some left tackle. And there he just, against Colorado, he just crushed a guy into the ground as well. Um, and then another guy that's going to be, a Forsyth, I think is a given. Redshirt Jr., he's really been yeah. paying his dues. He's probably going to be the center. Now he's not nearly as big, or excuse me, I should say not nearly as impressive physically and as athletic as the guys I just talked about or the guy I'm going to talk about, but you don't need that as much at center. And that's why I think he's going to be a center and not a guard or a tackle. Cause he's, I don't think he's going to be able to match up with the guys I just mentioned, uh, but he, he'll Dude, be fine there. Go ahead. I, I, I was just going to ask, like, do, do you think that, um, like you just mentioned, you don't have to be like the biggest, fastest or strongest to be center, but obviously that's probably one of the more cerebral spots that you need. Is, is that, is that the, one of the tougher plug and play positions in, in ter- on the line of, in terms of just like replacing a position year in and year out. If if you're not developing someone, yeah, which is what they they fell into that problem when uh, Grasso left and they had to go get Hegarty as a as a, a right. transfer because they didn't have a guy. Here, I feel like they have a guy. Like they've been kind of grooming him to to play center, and he's been around for so long. He, he's he's got to have it upstairs intellectually, I would imagine, and the fact that he's seen some time at tackle, seen some time at guard is only going to help him mentally there. And I think he's physically, I mean, the guy was a four-star recruit on rivals, three-star on 24 seven, like the physical ability is there. He just, these other guys are just freaks. So they kind of make him look not quite as gifted. Uh, but you know, if I, if I, my druthers, I'm going to put the less athletic guy at, at center and let the other guys flourish at guard and tackle. And then the, then, then the last guy is this TJ Bass character, uh, this, this JC guard, <laughs> Six five three thirty four. Uh, I I encourage anyone. I put a link to his huddle uh, highlights in my story, and I and I threw in two videos. He he he's he he angry. He mad at somebody. I don't know. A girlfriend broke up with him or something. But when he blocks you, he blocks you like he wants to destroy you and your entire. Uh, existence and thoughts about ever playing football again um and super athletic i mean dude there's a video of him getting out on a screen and if i was the cornerback i would have just ran off the sideline and just (laughs) yeah you're you know what you you just have the 25 yards i'm not gonna let this 335 350 pound man uh manhandle me like this uh so when you just like i'm not saying that's your starting five but what i'm saying is that is a very athletic group of guys who are huge, who are going to be very good. And the great thing about this is you're only going to lose one of the starters from next year. Panay's gone. Like, this is going to be the Panay right, yeah. farewell tour. He's going to be a top 10 pick. He's not sticking around. This is it. Uh, so the following year's offensive line is still going to be really good, even without him because of all this talent. So I came away from this just feeling very good about the offensive line and, and believing that that's not what's going to hold them back in 2020. 
Okay, so it's not going to hold them back in 2020. Uh, in 2019, one of the big reasons why people projected Oregon to be good was because of that offensive line. So this offensive line won't hold them back. But what do you think their ceiling is here? Uh, well, as I stated, and, numerous and, times, and, and obviously, obviously, this is where we're talking in March and spring practice hasn't even right. Of course, yet, so of course. Yeah, I was a little disappointed in in the offensive line the last couple of years and just the inconsistency in the, in the rushing attack. Like I just still think find that that mind boggling. So I don't think the, the bar is all that as, as high as some people still want to believe it was. And and I think what we'll talk about later with what the scouts told me about the offensive lineman leaving that I just think some of these guys are more talented. Um, I think there's going to be some growing pains, but I think from a uh, physical presence standpoint, it's going to make up for some of those deficiencies and be pretty good. So, you know, again, they might not be quite as good as last year, but I don't think this is going to be a detriment. Like so let's put it this way. Remember in 2016 when they lost all those front seven guys and then the 2016 defense gave up 240 yards rushing per game or whatever? That was mm-hmm. a huge drop-off. We were like, oh, my God. We're not going to see anything remotely close to this in terms of a drop-off. It's going to be a pretty damn good offensive line. Okay, so we're, we're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, spring practice actually <laughs> starts tomorrow on Thursday, which seems absolutely insane. For the longest time at Oregon, spring practice, uh, it usually started that first April, week of April, April and yeah. then they just did the entire thing. But, um, you know, they for the last three years, they've been doing the get, get like uh, about five practices in before finals and spring break and then come back for the second half. Um, there's... I'm actually pretty excited for this spring for a change because, you know, you're going to have uh, a fresh look at the quarterback battles, um, you know, a lot of the uh, plug in and play of these guys on the offensive line. Uh, Noah Sewell's already in camp. Justin Flo is getting in for the second part. Um, there's there's going to be a lot of new faces and it's going to be fun to watch. I, I think obviously uh, a bulk of that attention is going to be placed on uh, the quarterback play where Tyler Shuck, um, who will be a red shirt sophomore this year, is expected to be the front runner for a quarterback competition. He'll, he'll be facing off against Kale Millen, who is, is coming back from an injury filled uh, red shirt season. Uh, Jay Butterfield, a four star quarterback from California, who uh, is an early enrollee and will be in camp. Um, and, you know, they'll all begin a head start on uh, Ro- Robbie Ashford, who is coming in uh, this summer. Um, but not only is it the new quarterback, but you have a new offensive coordinator with Joe Moorhead. And uh, I, I've been working on a Moorhead profile um, over the last couple of weeks. It's, it'll probably be coming out sometime next week. And uh, the the biggest take, and, and this isn't going to be a, a shocker to anybody who follows even a little bit of football, but uh, the, the biggest takeaway I've gotten from Moorhead is as long as he has a quarterback that he's on the exact same page with, uh, it's going to be a pretty good offense. I, I, I talked to his quarterback over at, uh, during his four-year run at Fordham where he kind of developed his offense and kind of turned it into that up-tempo spread RPO uh, offense. And uh, he had this quarterback, Mike Niebrick, who just absolutely uh, um, uh, destroyed the, the, the Fordham record books. And, and he had just a, a bunch of really uh, good things to say about a Moorhead. Uh, and granted, this guy's a quarterback, so he's going to be very high in quarterbacks. But he told me, like, I have this quote. He goes, uh, uh, his offense is very uh, predicated on the quarterback making decisions quickly and knowing the offense like the back of his hands. Get ready for it. As long as the quarterback is ready to run his system, you're going to have big offensive explosions. I think Oregon's going to go back and bring that Chip Kelly firepower back, which I think is a little outlandish. Um, but, yeah, this uh, it's absolutely important spring for Moorhead and quarterbacks to get on the same page. And, and that's why I think uh, probably coming in, Tyler Shuck is uh, 
going to continue to be the front runner just because of that that experience and and, and probably being able to uh, pick up a, a system at just at this point in his career. I would think so. That, you know, but the fight. Like the Butterfield mystery is there. It's just like the Herbert mystery was. You know, you just wonder is Butterfield going to be like Herbert? And just all of a sudden, he's just a savant. <laughs> You're like, oh my God, right. I'm hearing these rumors coming out of spring. But Tyler Sheck is, is super talented. Like you, you can see the physical abilities there, and he doesn't seem like he's, you know, lacking in the intellect department. So I can't imagine he isn't going to, at the very least, be good. I mean, again, there might be a drop off there from Herbert. I would expect there to be. Uh, but I don't think he's going to be a detriment. Let's put it that way. So it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. And it's going to be like, the spring game is going to be semi worthless, of course. We're not going to really know much <laughs> until we're not. I mean, we're not going to know much about any of these cats really until Ohio State. And that will sort of tell the tale. But there, there's talent there. I mean, you know, there's guys to work with. So, so I I don't want to spoil too much from my uh, conversation with Moorhead yesterday, but just here's here's a brief little clip about him talking about you know, you know how he views quarterbacks and and where he needs his relationship to be with Chuck Butterfield, whoever it may be. You know, a quarterback, you got to look for a guy who can beat you with his brains, his arms, and his legs. Right. And being an ex quarterback, you know, part of the thing when you become an ex quarterback is that player is the extension of you on the field. So I feel like when I'm coaching him in my offense and he's thoroughly prepared, it's like just with Trace. It, honestly, it didn't matter what call was on the sheet, but you had the utmost confidence of whatever you called. He was thinking the same way you were, mm-hmm. and he was going to be your safety net. You know I mean? He was going to find a way to make you. You didn't call plays hesitantly. You called him with confidence that, that they were thoroughly prepared uh, and talented enough, intelligent enough to make the play. Outside of quarterback, Aaron, is, is there anything else this spring that, that you really have your eye on? I mean, you know, we talked about the offensive line. I, I do think that the wide receivers kind of uh, seem a little interesting this spring. I mean, Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red are established guys, but there's there's kind of a bulk of, of younger talent that I think are going to be, you know, competing for some of those, uh, those other uh, reps, whether it be Micah Pittman, who's coming off the kind of that injury-filled a freshman year or, or some of those other uh, uh, redshirt guys who who were pretty highly recruited uh, in that 2019 class who just didn't really get on the field. Um, I, I think that's a big thing for me. And then obviously just seeing, you know, the sort of talent that uh, uh, Flo and, and Sewell provide at the linebacker position. What's what, what's on your list here? Yeah, you got to feel really good with uh, Johnson Redback, as you mentioned. Addison is still maturing and growing. Delgado is still maturing and growing. And of course, Micah Pittman was a true freshman. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of good young guys there that are still growing as receivers behind the two se- the se- seniors. And then I'm really interested to see, well, as much as we can see and hear, obviously, about the transfer. The kid from USA is Devon Williams, right? Is he the yep. one transfer? Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, what? what's he all about? He was obviously a, a big-time guy going to USC. Now he's at Oregon. You know, is he going to live up to that type of hype? Or was he, you know... Did he leave USC for reasons? Like maybe it just he wasn't living up to the potential. Therefore, they're getting a guy who's just going to be good and not necessarily great. But there's, I mean, I, we, that's seven or six guys right there. Um, and then, of course, there's some other young guys on the roster that we you know don't know much about yet. But they were obviously had stars by their name coming in. So there's a fleet of guys. And, I, you know, <clears throat> you still want to see that guy that is – a true number one. Like I, and I'm not saying Johnson and red aren't important receivers, but you know, that six foot three, you know, blow the top off the defense. No one can cover me in any type of setting, you know, almost a Darren Carrington, but better type guy emerge. Right. And, and maybe that's Addison. Maybe that's Devon Williams. Maybe that's Pittman. 
Um, I, I would like to see the offense find someone like that. J- J- Johnson and Red were like a solid, like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love on uh, the championship uh, Cavs right. team. But Who's the LeBron, you still, right? Yeah, you still need a LeBron out there, man. Um, yeah. Okay, so so here's a question for you. I think it's pretty pretty set in stone that as long as C.J. Verdell is healthy, he's going to be the number one back. I mean, he's had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. Um, only issue with him is he runs so dang hard into people that it seems like every week he's on the injury report. He thinks he's do 240. You think, <laughs> yeah, so do I. Um, do you think that Travis Dye is the set number two running back option on this team? Or is there a chance that maybe Cyrus continues to evolve in this game? Or you see like a Sean Dollars who uh, was a redshirt shirt last year, um, an all-purpose back, probably has better hands than the rest of the guy, but maybe guys, but not quite that the same speed as them. Like, like how, how do you think that kind of um, fills out this spring? Uh, this group is similar to the receiver group in that you have a bunch of really good players, but not that true, like, marquee bell cow number one. There's no Royce Freeman. There's no Jonathan Stewart. There's not even a LaMichael in this crew. If you added Cyrus, Travis, and CJ Verdell together, all their positive traits together, you have a first-round running back. Um, <laughs> you do. I would like to see Cyrus get more uh, more run. I, th- I think it's kind of bizarre to me that he could you know, have the second half he did against Washington and then disappear. And, and again, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You don't really know like, what assignments he's messing up on or what, what, what deficiencies he's showing. But it's just bizarre that they just don't feature him more. And I'm not saying that you know, he should have more carries even than die, but that it should be evenly more evenly distributed. It'll be interesting to see if Moorhead values the bigger back more so than they did uh, the last year outside of the, uh, the 10 yard line. So that'll be interesting to see, but yeah, those three are, are, are going to be the guys I would imagine. And dollars might fill in, uh, in some special situations, but it, is there anyone else on this, in this list that is, uh, like, I don't think they really signed a, a major, marquee back in the last couple of years no, man, in terms it, it, of a it, big it, guy. It's, it's been a while and, and which is, you know, towards the, you know, uh, the last 10, 15 years of Gary Campbell's career, it seems like every like two or three years he had just like, you always knew who like the next guy was going to be in waiting, whether it was, uh, you know, he got the the Tyner and Royce Freeman in back to back years, and Lamichael and Kenyon, and you know just like all of those studs. And it, it's been a while since Oregon's had that like bona fide um, kind of guy that you knew was was coming in the wings as a as a big recruit. And uh, I I do think that uh, um, I, I I I legit don't know who's who's going to be their guy when, once Verdell's done. You know. Yeah. So Javon Williams, Javon Wilson, yeah, excuse he, me, was a three star. Yeah, and, and he, I, I'm not sure where he fits in at all. Like, like he, he, he's behind dollars. Uh, you know, he's probably behind. Um, who, who's the kid they brought in this year? Trey Benson, I believe. Um, I, I think they'll probably be starting from about the the same footing. But yeah. Um, but which is unfortunate because he's like the one guy who has size. I think he's like six two, two twenty or so, which is was right. something that the Ducks Ducks definitely need in the backfield there. But yeah. But they're—I mean—they're gonna be fine there. I mean, like that's not—that's not an issue. You got three guys you can get it done who have gotten it done. So I just like to see Cyrus get a little bit more burn. Hey, so uh, let me let me read something to you that I wrote back in January. Wait, let me get my um, pillow. Was, let, me get my, let me get my pillow. <laughs> yeah, right. Sorry, just kidding. <laughs> uh, you know what? I was just—I was just about to plug a story of yours too, you jerk. <laughs> Okay, so I wrote uh, in, right after the season ended. I I wrote a uh, here are ten predictions for the next year, 
And uh, I wrote about Justin Herbert and his his stock watch. And so I wrote, uh, uh, here's what's going to happen because of the rise of the running quarterback in the NFL. Herbert's Rose Bowl performance, which wasn't great through the air, is going to be a positive because he showed off his mobility. It's not that Herbert hasn't been able to run. It's just that since he became one of the most notable names in college football, he hasn't. We're going to get to February in the NFL scouting combine where Herbert's size, arm strength, and brain are going to test off the charts. Essentially, what I was trying to mean is once – Right around like January, it seemed like Herbert was, you know, definitely at least like the number four, five quarterback in the class in terms of people's consensus. And I predicted that come February, once you start getting like all these measurables, that he was going to see his stock rise. I thought the NFL Combine was going to be great for Justin Herbert. You covered the NFL Combine. You were there for basically everything Herbert did. Was I right? (laughs) People had him fifth. Some people had him fifth. Well. Well, I mean, he was like you. You often saw him behind. You saw him behind Tua. You saw him right. behind Burrow. You saw him behind um, uh, who's who's the, the yeah, saw, yeah Love. Was there um, anyone else? Okay, so maybe fourth. I you know I I tend to make things up from time to time. <laughs> so you said yeah. fourth or fifth? So okay, yeah. I was just yeah. wondering. Okay, uh, so there. Yeah, I mean, there are some rumblings that he could on some people's boards. He's moved ahead of Tua. But and a, and a lot of that could also be the injury factor. Like if, if you have two guys rated, let's say you have one of them a 92 and one of them a 90, and the 90 just broke his hip, you know, or the 92 just broke his <laughs> hip, sorry. So you have him rated slightly better, but he broke his hip. And it's like most quarterbacks who have major injuries in college eventually have major injuries in the pros. You might take the guy who's, you know, he had a collarbone, but that was three years ago. Uh, and then, you know, intellectually, Herbert obviously is going to be off the charts. I don't think the Wonderlick scores have been released or anything like that, but I can't imagine he didn't do very well on that. And the fact that he is super mobile, he ran a four six eight. Uh, I sort of had him pegged around a four seven five four seven, so I wasn't too surprised about that. But if you're a scout, you're looking at an electronic four six eight from a guy that tall, that big. You're going to like that because you know he can escape. Um, and you know, but still, there's there's some questions about. <clears throat> um, his consistency as a passer. Now, this scout I've used for years, and I talked to him about everyone on on this on the list that was from Oregon. It's funny because I, I took a lot of grief for nitpicking his performance at the combo at the Senior Bowl when he got MVP, and I wrote sort of a film study column on that. And Duck fans were just hammering me. You're always negative, well, blah, blah, blah. It was just, well, just, well, you put you put it in the same context. You were like the uh, the Chicago Black Sox, uh, the 2017 <laughs> Houston Astros, and 2020 Justin Herbert Senior Bowl, all, all tainted all, performances. All t- exactly, exactly. I did kind of do that. Now, I, it was my point of the game was like he didn't really do anything impressive. Like they were all short throws. I mean, you throw a screen pass for a touchdown to a running back. Like you and I literally could throw a screen pass to a running back for a touchdown. Yeah, right now. You, you haven't seen. You haven't seen. Throw. <laughs> you played baseball. You can make that throw. Um, and it's funny because the scout said to me, he, he kind of cut me off, and I because he asked me. He like sometimes he asked me what I think first, and he goes, you know, I I kind of felt the announcers on that game were being nice. I go, really? He goes, yeah. I felt like like they were overhyping him and they, they knew that what they were seeing wasn't that impressive, but that's their job to overhype him. I go, oh, really? I go, he goes, well, so continue with what you're saying. And so I told him my feelings on it. He goes, exactly 100%. He's like, that, that, that showed nothing. He's like, that senior bowl was not. He goes, no, he heard that he was, no, he. Yeah, he wasn't there. Some of his underling scouts were there in terms of the week. Now, he heard grave reports during the week, but he was like, yeah, the performance was uninspiring. And then we talked a little bit about some of his inconsistencies as a passer and some of the misses he makes, even though he has this live arm. And my main thing with him is he has a cannon. There's no doubt. But I don't believe we saw at times the touch that you're supposed to have at the next level. Like, 
some, especially sideline routes. How many times do you remember like a, the guys on the sideline either a comeback or racing <clears> down the sideline and he's thrown that thing into the third row? You know, and you're like, what the hell was that? He did that in the senior bowl. Uh, so there is some inconsistencies there. That he, he's not a lock, surefire, marquee, can't miss. You know, but then again, neither was Winston, neither was Mariota. You know, not hardly anyone ever is. But the talent is just there. That's going to make guys just be like, wow, we got to roll the dice on this kid if I need a quarterback. Did uh, did you knock your mic over trying to prove that point? No, I knocked it over. Yeah, it, it was, it was, <laughs> you heard it. I forgot to edit that out. <laughs> well, no, well, well, no, no, it was perfect timing. You're like, this dude throws so hard. Smack. Dude. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. He, 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 he reminds me about a lot of the stories that you would like hear about like Brett Favre, like, and I'm not, I'm not comparing these two like whatsoever, but just like, you know how like his receivers would always just like, you know, show people their fingers of how right. they're all dented up and busted. And it's like, yeah, this guy doesn't have. Uh, you know, you got to tap the tap the X button every once in a while. You don't have to hold <laughs> there it down, you go. The, down the entire time. You got to have some finesse on those throws. So. But he's growing and learning. I mean, yes, he's played for four years, but he also had, you know, a few different offenses he played for. So, he, you know, who knows what he's going to become. I would definitely take him. If I need a quarterback in the top 10, I would draft Justin Herbert in a nanosecond. I, I just I just want to see what he's able to do with, like, some elite receivers. I mean. That's who, another who, thing. You know. Yeah. You're go ahead. Finish. Oh, you know, like if you go back and look through his time as Oregon, his, his best receiver last year is Johnny Johnson, who is a, a completely above average college receiver, but he's not going to go to the NFL. And then who the year before Dylan Mitchell, who did Dylan hang on with Minnesota this year? Was he practice squad? Uh, practice squad. Yeah. Like, right. like the, he's he, he's never had the he's never thrown to an, an NFL receiver before. I you know, it's funny that. The receiver history over the years, like some of these guys shine in this spread offense. You can put up stats, but come draft time, it's it's usually an eye opener. I don't know how many times I've had people slam me for not recognizing how great these guys are. And then the draft comes along and I was like, oh, okay, maybe Fetchers actually was right. The highest drafted receiver in the last 15 years, I think, are Demetrius Williams and DeAnthony Thomas, fourth round. I will say this. I do think Giant Johnson is definitely going to get drafted. As a matter of fact, the scout I talked to said he likes Giant Johnson a lot. Um, not okay. going to be first, second, or third round, but definitely, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, somewhere in there. Um, but no, you're right. Like, give this guy, you know, a fleet of big, fast receivers with some nice slots. Like, right now he has two slot guys that are good, but they're, neither one of them is blow the top off the defense. I'm throwing, going down. Not, not that they don't throw deep to those guys every once in a while, but you know what I'm talking about. Give him a six foot three yeah. guy who runs a four 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 three forty. And could stretch the defense and make you know run that deep dig and get open. He's going to be slinging to guys like that, so that's going to make him better as well. So you're 100 percent well, correct. Well, and, and and we thought we thought Juwan Johnson was going to be that guy this year, and you know between his, his various injuries and, and just kind of you know, finding his way in that offense, that, that you didn't quite have like those you know beautiful like uh, you know just just deep balls between the two. And you know it seems like a lot of his stuff was actually like kind of yards after carry. I mean right. yards after reception stuff, but. Um, I, I thought that he had, for for a guy his size, what, what did he he ran like a four, four five, five eight. Four, yeah, four, five, I, like eight. I, I I thought that was pretty important for him because yes. I mean like he 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 measures very well. I mean he's 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 got a good size. I think I think his hands were pretty. I think his hands measured were the biggest top whatever the yeah, receivers, top, but yeah, um, I think it was yeah. Like like speed speed was definitely important for him, especially kind of coming off a year where uh, I didn't think he got to kind of showcase it that much. Um, was he out, outside of Herbert between like him and uh, you know the offensive lineman and, and Troy Die obviously didn't participate. Like like who who kind of helped themselves the most out there? 
He definitely helped with the four four eight. His uh, and he did well in the cone drills as well. But his uh, explosion measured in the vertical and the broad jump were not very good at all. They were pretty low. Um, and you know the explosion stuff matters because that stuff starts to to wane over time. And so if a guy starts with relatively low explosion, you know it's going to get even lower over the years. So you, you project out to when he's going to basically dry up. <laughs> so that didn't really help him. He's not very explosive. But but think about that. Like Juwan Johnson was that one big guy with some speed. Now imagine a Juwan Johnson with a better vertical and four four, not four five eight. That's the kind of guy that I'm talking about that other programs can get. Oregon hasn't really gotten, and Herbert's going to be thrown to that kind of guy in the NFL. Um, but no, I think Juwan definitely at four five eight with his his size, um, his body control, his experience. I think he's definitely going to stick somewhere. As, as but like, is it going to be a number four, number five? I can't imagine him coming out the gate being a top three on anyone's team. Um, but I think he'll definitely you know make some money as far as the offensive line. So you know, I kind of was you know the last year or so like eh, I like the offensive line but I, th- I thought they were going to be more Th- this guy I talked to completely hammered him <laughs> like he just I he said I said so you that's what we got done like he, he just like they're not they don't bend very well they're not very strong although Hanson bench press Hanson put up what, what did 33, he do? 33 reps, reps? yeah, <laughs> yeah um, so maybe good. he answered the strength question and, and it's improved his strength he he and Lemieux did not participate in any of the senior bowls because they both said they want to concentrate on training. So the strength component obviously was good for Hanson since that's what this uh, scout really knocked. Um, but you know, at the end of him talking about him, I'm like, so you wouldn't draft any of these guys? He said, I would not recommend any of them as draft picks, maybe as free agents. That's and so I mean, even on, even on the NFL.com's combine page, if you look at their ratings – their rankings there that's going into the combine, uh, two of them were like into the roster projections. And one, Shane Lemieux was projected as a, I think, uh, backup who could become a starter. So even there, they weren't all that high. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what happens with them. But I do think that w- when you look at the video of the new crew of linemen coming up and then you look back at those three, you do see a, a difference in the balance between the size and the athleticism. I think there are more athletic kids coming up. And at that size, you got to be able to move really well at the next level because you're going to be going against way better defensive linemen and linebackers. So it'd be fascinating to see where those three end up. Okay, so Oregon kicks off spring practice tomorrow, which is Thursday. Uh, if you go on The Athletic right now, Aaron has a really great pre- piece uh, previewing um, you know, what we talked about earlier about the offensive line and, and how the uh, the next guard is able to uh, to fill in there to replace those four dudes. And uh, I have a, a, a kind of a complete guide position by position of, of the storylines to watch at spring ball. Uh, keep an eye out next week for a Joe Moorhead profile, and uh, we'll also have some uh, men's and women's basketball coverage uh, coming up here in the coming days. So. Supreme. Is gone. Um, Sabrina's gone. <laughs> uh, but with, with with that, uh, we appreciate y'all listening here on It Never Rains. If if you don't mind giving us a uh, a review or a rating on uh, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, whatever the heck you're listening on, and uh, we'll uh, we'll be back uh, sometime for another episode here on uh, <laughs> on, uh, on the Athletic Podcast Network. Stay tuned.